I'm a fun guy. <laughs> I'm a fun guy. <laughs> I'm a fun guy. <laughs> We're all about fun up here at ESPN-UP. Kawhi would fit in very nicely here if Toronto doesn't work out for him. It's a sports pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. It is Friday. More excuses to have fun. The weekend's here. We're through another week. And we've got high school playoff football this evening around the great state of Michigan. And plenty up here in the UP. Plenty of good football to keep an eye on. Of course, Westwood Patriot football on here this evening. That'll be followed by the World Series. That's live from Los Angeles. Yasiel Puig is going to love that because it's not Milwaukee. I see you, Milwaukee, <laughs> that baby par. You I see, see you there. <laughs> World Series Game 3 tonight. Rick Porcello going for Boston. He tries to give his team a 3-0 series lead. If they win tonight, it's over, isn't it? No way the Dodgers are coming back from being down 3-0. I mean, they have to go to Fenway and win, too. Winning four in a row against the team and how hot they're playing, that's going to be tough enough. Meanwhile, the Dodgers put the ball in the hands of their most consistent pitcher, Bueller. Bueller, 24-year-old Walker Bueller. He gets a start tonight as he goes up against... A potent Red Sox lineup. The Red Sox are showing that good offense can beat good pitching. The old adage had always been that pitching is going to dominate. Defense wins you championships. Boston's proven the theory wrong. Boston's offense peaking at the right time. They are putting up eye-popping numbers. They look like that they're on the roll to the World Series that we all kind of expected. After they won 108 games in the regular season, we thought no way they can sustain this. They not only sustained it, they took it to another level. They have their offense on the same level as they're pitching right now. Everything's going their way. The Dodgers have to get the bats going. That offense is too loaded for them to be this quiet offensively. Six runs in two games isn't bad, but they're getting outslugged and they're getting outpitched. Clayton Kershaw, for whatever reason, just doesn't have it in the postseason, or at least he hasn't to this point in his career. Took David Price a few years, but he's got it figured out. He wins the two biggest postseason games of his life back-to-back. I still think my prediction, Red Sox in five, I still think that looks pretty good. Boston in five, I don't think the series is coming back to Fenway. As much as maybe a lot of people would like to see it do so, Red Sox maybe want to win in their home field, I don't think it's going to happen. This World Series hasn't been the barn burner that maybe we're used to seeing in the Fall Classic. And we still have a long way to go. A lot can change, especially as they go to Chavez Ravine tonight. Don't count this Dodger team out. Too much talent in that roster for you to ever count them out. But they got to get the bats going, and the boppers have to do their thing. they got to start hitting for some power. I don't know if Fenway and the Dimensions had anything to do with it, but the Dodgers got to start bringing their power bats to the game. Dave Roberts, I almost wonder how hot his seat is getting if the Dodgers don't win it this season. He's not going to get fired. Dodgers would be stupid to do so. I don't think Magic Johnson has any intention of getting rid of him if they don't come out with a World Series championship this season. But how much more could you ask for, talent-wise on a roster? What more could you ask for if you're a manager than what the Dodgers have had this year, last year? You look at the talent on those teams and what they've been able to put together and it has not resulted in a World Series championship. It still might this season, but doesn't look likely right now. Dave Roberts, if he doesn't win with this roster, is he going to? Is he ever going to? 
You can't picture a much better L.A. Dodgers roster in the next couple of years. I mean, they are looking at going through a major rebuild in, what, a year or two. Because they have a strong core that's riding the bench day in and day out. They could be all-stars other places around Major League Baseball, and yet they go about two or three guys deep into the bench. Because they can. But how long will they be able to sustain that? Dave Roberts right now is doing a great job managing the superstar talent on his roster. Does a good job keeping all those guys happy. But they're not going to be happy playing for a team that doesn't win for a championship. And we should expect nothing less than a championship with the roster they have put together. It is that good in Los Angeles this year that if they don't win the World Series, it is a disappointment. It's a disappointing season if L.A. doesn't win at all. Now, Boston, they have nothing to lose, and they're playing like it. I mean, yes, the expectations are high for them after winning 108 games, but they're surpassing expectations as it is. The offense is going strong. The bullpen hasn't done them in. The Dodgers, I think, have the better roster. When you look at all 25 guys on there, I still think the Dodgers have the better roster. But Alex Cora, first-year manager, did anyone think that he was going to get to this point in his first season? We knew Boston was going to be good, but how good? Alex Cora has a lot to do with that. He's bringing the best out of all these young guys that they have on the roster. And Boston is far and away exceeding expectations for what they were supposed to do this season. We knew they were going to be good. They were probably an ALCS team. But no one expected this level of dominance. Dominated Houston, and they're dominating L.A. The Yankees put up more of a fight than either Houston or L.A. did or has so far. Getting back to L.A., if they don't win it with this roster... They're just not going to without a major rebuild. You're not going to keep this core of players together. You're going to have to rebuild, and maybe that starts with a new manager. If you're content with being a dominant power in the NL, making a deep run in October, but not winning a championship, maybe hang on to Doc Roberts for the long term. But they're not getting it done, and if Dave Roberts isn't able to do it with the roster he has this season, I don't believe he's going to. And you think about what his future is in L.A. I don't expect him to get fired. Dodgers could get swept in this series, and I don't think that's the end for him. Nonetheless, he still guided his team to back-to-back World Series. Let's say they don't win this series, maybe even get swept or lose in five. Dave Roberts is still going to be the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers next year. But that means that the Dodgers know they're not going to win a title. Because if they can't win it with this roster, they're just not going to win it. There is not going to be a better Dodger roster than the one they have this season anytime in the near future. Dave Roberts is not going to bring a championship to L.A. if he has not done it by this time a month from now. How about the Red Sox? Let's talk about some positives with them. Not only great baseball players, great human beings. Did you hear that story about Mookie Betts delivering food to the homeless after Game 2 in Boston the other night? just have great guys on this Boston team. Then you have guys like Manny Machado on the other side, a guy who cleats Jesus Aguilar. And you get a good guy, bad guy storyline between these two teams. Machado, of course, been called a dirty player by Christian Yelich, one of the most respected names in the game, probably going to win the NL MVP this year. Mookie Betts is out delivering food to the homeless. I mean, who are you rooting for? Speaking of Machado, he has been accused by the Red Sox of stealing signs during Game 2 the other night. 
Daniel Lavangi, the pitching coach for Boston, he says he saw the whole thing. That it happened right before Yasiel Puig came up to bat. The at-bat in question, by the way, Kike Hernandez was at the plate. He ended up striking out. David Price was the pitcher at that time. And Machado has been accused of flashing signals to both Hernandez and Yasiel Puig right before Puig singled to bring in Machado. Lavangi later said that his meeting with Price and his battery mate Christian Vasquez following that at-bat was to make them aware of the sign stealing. Now, do the Red Sox have a point here? Are they onto something? Because they accused Houston of doing the same thing in the American League Championship Series. Remember that? Houston was accused of sign stealing. Major League Baseball did an investigation. They cleared him of any wrongdoing. Is Manny Machado stealing signs as Boston onto something? Or are the Red Sox just a little jumpy? And they're starting to think that everybody is out to steal their signs. Are they sleeping with one eye open, trying to secure that World Series championship? Let us know your thoughts. Again, you can tweet us at ESPNUP, download our mobile app from the Apple Live Store or Google Play, or uh, send us something on Facebook. Always like it when you connect with us. Uh, like us on Facebook, be sure to do so, and check out our website while you have the chance, ESPNUP. Coming up, an NBA trade that has John Gruden drooling. Should Jimmy Butler be sent to the Houston Rockets for four future first-round draft picks. Tell you why the Timberwolves need to make this deal happen next on the Sports Pen. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP mobile app. Don't forget, Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize, only to Jibwa Casino in Barriga and Marquette. Well, Tanner Hoops with you Friday afternoon, and we normally don't do a whole lot of call-ins. I get a lot of those. I made an exception here. We have Chris from Wisconsin on the phone with us, and full disclosure, I accepted this call because I know Chris very well. He used to live across the street from me back in Iowa. Know each other very well. We were neighbors, and we bring him in today. Chris, as always, man, thanks so much for being here. And, uh, I mean, you could pick anything that you want to start with out of the NBA. It's happened lately. There's always something going on. Seems like more than usual here in the last couple of hours. Yeah, the uh, I guess the best place to start, just because I think it's so interesting, would be the Jimmy Butler situation, uh, just because there's so many different angles to take on that. And, uh, you know, I don't know, what, what, what do you want to talk about with Jimmy Butler? Well, the Wolves have to make this trade, don't they? I mean, they're not going to compete for the West this year. The West belongs to Golden State, unless maybe Houston with Jimmy Butler, if everyone stays healthy, could give them a run. The Wolves just aren't going to win the West this year, whether they have him or not. They can set themselves up to be a dynasty for the next decade. That's how I look at it. What about you? Well, I, when I saw the offer that the Rockets are going to considering making I, I i don't understand what what is holding minnesota back at this point um you know they, they the pieces that they have right now are just you know mediocre i mean carl anthony towns is a is a dynamic player but he's only a dynamic player on the team with the right players around him um and that means that means that he has to have perimeter threats and they don't really have that um when jimmy butler is your best one of your best shooters that's a problem. I mean, Jimmy Butler is a heck of a player, but he's also not a, a consistent perimeter threat. He's more of a mid-range threat that likes to drive, good contact. And uh, I just don't see 
him fitting in with them and making them any better. And, uh, again, like you said, they're set up with – if they get those picks, they're set up for the future very nicely. And, uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins obviously isn't the guy either. So that I don't really know what's keeping them from pulling the trigger. When you look at Jimmy Butler and everything that's happened – off the court, uh, you know, getting the media spotlight on himself. Does any of that concern you, or are you with me thinking that this is kind of a publicity stunt rather than he really wants out? The weird thing about that is uh, everything that he said and did, I don't disagree with any of it. He called out his, his teammates for being, you know, not stepping up to the plate. Um, you know, basically called out the franchise for not handling the, the players that are in that franchise. What I didn't like about it is how public he went, and I think that's the whole piece that I think that, you know, guys like you and I will never get because it's the NBA and it's, there's big money involved. And uh, I think that was part of his angle to get with another team. But uh, I don't know if it's a posturing thing that's going on now where they're, they're not willing to pull the trigger because he did that. It's kind of a, you show us up, or we're going to show you back up, or we're going to make you wait. Um, the other thing that comes into to the realm of possibility is, and I, I don't really know why this would come up just because, like you said, Minnesota's not going to even come close to competing, even necessarily for a playoff spot this year. Um, is it a Western Conference thing? Did they not want to trade Jimmy Butler to a Western Conference team, particularly a team that could challenge the Warriors for that spot in the finals? Yeah, I mean, it's a great point when you look at Houston and what they could have potentially uh, for a starting lineup. If everyone's healthy, they're looking at a roster which can potentially feature a starting five of Chris Paul, James Harden, Jimmy Buckets, P.J. Tucker, Clint Capella, and then other guys to supplement in there. How likely is it if this deal goes through, what are their chances of giving the Warriors a run for their money? Well, I, I read an interesting piece the other day, and I guess uh... – what, what stood out to me was, I guess, the Rockets last year kind of had a you know, contingency plan where they were just going to throw bodies at Steph Curry in the playoffs, and they, they pretty much did that. Curry was also kind of running on a, a damaged wheel last year going, in, going into the playoffs, but um, Jimmy Butler would, would definitely solidify them defensively. I just don't know, again, you know, he, he doesn't bring in that three-point dynamic that to me, has separated Golden State from everyone else. That 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 can't be talked about enough. I mean, right now you have teams that are trying to emulate that. You know, last night I you know watching uh, you know Boston chuck it up against Oklahoma City. Um, Milwaukee I watched the other night. They they were basically firing away early in the shot clock, uh, in transition a ton, um, and they they were kind of trying to emulate that style. And I I'm, I don't know if anyone really has the personnel to go toe to toe with that. So. Houston, you know, I think their thought process is we, we're not going to beat them from the line. You know, we're going to beat them by bringing in this other dynamic defender. Um, and we have the bodies now with P.J. Tucker. We have, you know, James Harden. Can, he can guard. He doesn't necessarily guard. But we have all these players now. If you had Jimmy Butler into that, you now have this other player who can potentially just be a test to Steph Curry. And Golden State's a very different team when he's not a big part of what they're doing. Well, obviously, you saw what he did the other night, the 51 points in three quarters, 11 triples, six times his career he's done that. Uh, LeBron gets his first win at Staples Center as a member of the Lakers last night, 28 points, 11 boards, 11 assists as they beat Denver 121-114. to I asked this question on Twitter the other day, and it was bugging me for the longest time. Who would win if the two teams were to play this year's Lakers 
or last year's Cavs, but neither of them had LeBron. What are your thoughts? Jeez, I mean, I, I got a chance to check out the Cavs the other night against the Hawks. They looked pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also they're a pretty new team. I mean, when you think about all the pieces that they moved in last year, you know, during their stretch run, um, those guys never really got situated. And um, the guys they brought in were more complimentary pieces to LeBron James. And, you know, Kevin Love, I, I think his time as a star has come and gone. I think he'd be a great complimentary player on a good team. I think on, like, a Golden State, he'd be phenomenal. But on a team where he's required to do more, um, he's just not going to be able to give you that production that, that you'd want, especially, you know, as post players have been kind of deemed obsolete. You know, they've had to stretch him out. So some of his strengths have been taken away because he has to stretch the floor so much. Um, if they were to play right now, both teams without LeBron, I, I would definitely give the Lakers the nod. Their younger players have gotten better. Uh, Kyle Kuzma's a, he, he's quite the, the I, I think he's a huge piece to what they're doing. Josh Hart was an absolute steal. Um, I'm still mad that the Sixers didn't get him, mm-hmm. you know, when they had the opportunity. He's been, he's going to be their dynamic starting shooting guard for quite a long time if they don't end up trading him. And then, um, you know, they, they just have a better young core. And, you know, even, you know, Lonzo Ball last night looked excellent against Denver. I mean, he, he was, he showed his ranges improved and he was finding guys in spots and, uh, you know, he, he kind of that was a statement game for him with Rondo being out. I think he showed every reason why he should probably be the starting point guard moving moving forward. Going back to something you said earlier, you said you watched Boston last night beat Oklahoma City one hundred one to ninety five. OKC had a big lead going into halftime. Boston puts up forty in the third quarter. They come back to win the ball game behind twenty four from Jason Tatum. Oklahoma City. Off to an 0-4 start this season. They've got guys like Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams is probably the third best player on that team. Why are they so bad, or why are they off to a bad start this season? Well, it, I think it's the case of Russell Westbrook. When he's not on the floor, they're clearly not as dynamic. When he's on the floor, they're dynamic, but then he's also like this enigma. You know, last night after that game, uh, you know, NBA Fantasy tweeted out, you know, Russell Westbrook was the fantasy player of the night because his stat line is so um, exotic. You know, he gives you, you know, he's giving you close to a triple-double. Um, but then you look at his production point-wise, he was 5 of 20 from the floor. I mean, he gave you 13 points on 20 shots. And uh, a lot of those came late. I mean, they were up with four minutes left in that game, and his shot selection at, at, in those last four minutes was future. And I, he's, you kind of ride, you, you ride the wave with him. I mean, they win with him. And they lose with him, but without him, they, they really aren't on a strong team at all. He, he is a truly a one-man show. And I, I think Paul George has, is still trying to find a way uh, to fit in. He kind of looks like a second-tier star, not like the max player that everybody is hoping that he could be. And I don't know if that has to do with Westbrook or if that has to do with, you know, some people said he was kind of in his decline when he was at the tail end of his Indiana career before he even went to Oklahoma City. Um, and maybe we're just seeing that, but... The game has changed so much in the last five years as far as you know, analytics goes. Three-point volume has gone up a ton. If you don't have a team that has those pieces in place, and you're relying on a lot of one-on-one iso ball, you know, you're, you're not going to thrive in, in today's NBA. I mean, you see the scores that are, are being thrown out there, the 130s, the 120s, those, those are becoming a regular thing. Tell me, tell, well, why is that? Because my theory is not that defense isn't cared about or it's not – 
uh, played the way it used to, but the three ball has relied on so much, and it's not a guaranteed make by any any stretch of the imagination, but you get guys going down the floor, chucking up threes. It leads to quicker possessions, more opportunities to score. I see that as more of the reason uh, for these uh, you know, 130s, 120s, what have you, rather than yeah. defense. Yeah, I, I think what, what you're seeing, and, and I, I don't know the exact percentage trade-off, but there, there's an actual, it shows you, you know, the, if you shoot 25% of the team from three, um, that puts you in the same realm if you shoot the same volume from two at like 37 or 38%. So, I mean, there, there's a huge percentage. Teams are willing to trade off missing threes and, and losing possession uh, in the hopes of making a couple threes and a, and a couple of possessions they gain um, because the analytics just point to the fact that three-point volume is something these possessions that, you know, the shot clock's being used and you end up with a mid-range shot or a contested two in the paint, um, that shot is being valued so much more. And, you know, and these guys are letting it fly quick. I mean, transition offenses are going to the deep quarters now. It's not running the floor trying to get to the rim. It's, it's running the floor, and, and Clay Thompson's the best example. The guy gets to the deep corner. How many times has that guy hit a three on the break without even putting the ball on the floor? He's just where he needs to be. And I think, I think that's what the NBA is starting to become. Um, it's incredible with a 24-second shot clock that these guys are not even sometimes using half of that. That, you know, that, that's instant offense in under 12, 13 seconds. That's crazy. Well, you look around the NBA landscape, four undefeated teams remain, three of them in the East and then one in the West. Toronto, we know they're going to be the real deal. Milwaukee, I think, is the real deal. You look at the other two, Detroit is 4-0, and and then New Orleans, 3-0. and Which of those teams is more for real? Which one's a pretender? Or are they both contenders? Uh, clearly, Detroit's a pretender. I mean, I, I don't – I'm not – but when, when, you, when two of your premier players are Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, I mean, who are both fantastic players in their own capacity, I mean, Griffin brings you the, the athleticism, he runs the floor. <laughs> I think he stretched the, his game out quite a bit. And, you know, Drummond is your traditional post. Um, you know, he's going to give you – he's almost I, – I, I think he's like a more talented person than Dwight Howard. You know, he, he's giving you those things. I think he stretched his game, but – they center a lot of what they do around him and what we just talked about with the three ball. If you're running your offense through those two guys, you're not going to be getting that connection unless you are just surrounding them with shooters. And uh, I think that will eventually catch up with them. I'm not, they're probably a playoff team in the East, but I don't see them being you know, a threat. New Orleans, I, I tell you what, I, I watched them the other night. I was pretty impressed with what they, they bring to the table. Anthony Davis just seems to be, I mean, you talk about, you know, Next up, as far as who's the best player in the league, he, he certainly is in that conversation. Um, and Drew Holiday, I mean, that guy can lock down defensively from, from baseline to baseline. He's a problem. Um, I don't know enough about their core to know if they'll be a threat long term, but they look like they've gotten better. Uh, Julius Randle definitely adds, adds a, a new dynamic to them. Um, <coughs> I, I don't. I don't think they're necessarily a threat in the West, though. I, I think they're a notch under Houston and Golden State. Um, and then you mentioned uh, who are the other teams you mentioned as being Milwaukee undefeated? and Toronto. Milwaukee is le- legit uh, against Philly. Again, I, they're young, so again, there's that question mark: is will, will their youth maintain what they're doing? But they play fast. I mean, you got a, a freak point guard that's you know basically a seven foot point guard who plays. You, you, in Philly has Ben Simmons, who's the same thing, but Giannis can just 
stretch the floor so much more. He can shoot the ball off the dribble. He's impossible to get to in the passing lane. I think he's a, he's an absolute threat. I think Milwaukee will be a threat team. I think they're kind of a sleeper behind Toronto and Boston for sure. And then Toronto, I think, is absolutely a, a, the real deal. They're, they're the most complete team that I've seen so far in the East. When you look back at what happened with the Lakers and the Rockets and that skirmish the other night involving Ingram, Rondo, and Chris Paul, you know, a lot of people look to Ingram maybe as the instigator. Uh, people talk about Rondo and you know his competitiveness, his fire, if you want to call it that. Not many people want to throw blame at Chris Paul, but lately you're getting several of his teammates coming out and saying that there's definitely some room to grow for a guy like that. I mean, and, and that kind of surprises me. The narrative that the fans get is that he's a leader of whatever team he's on. He's, you know, this upstanding guy. And I, I, I just, it, it surprises me because I'd, I'd never thought that way about Chris Paul, but I wonder if maybe there's some underlying thing that, you know, we don't know about him, but, you know, the players do, and they showed that on the court the other night. If you look up, uh, like, Chris Paul's uh, gifs and, or, you know, and even just, like, you know, type in, like, Chris Paul, a dirty player, <laughs> he does a lot of things in a game that are kind of, um, they kind of go, they're sneaky. You know, he, he's a flopper big time. Um, you know, a lot of times defensively he's doing things with his hands. He, he kind of reminds me of a modern-day John Stockton. You know, when I remember when I was younger, my, my dad would always tell me about it. You know, because everybody revered John Stockton as being this great point guard. He clearly was. But my dad always talked about how dirty of a player he was. And I, I've gone back since and watched some film. And John Stockton was very similar. Very dirty. Um, in the in the clenches, he, he was, you know, hands-on, you know, tripping guys, doing things like that. And, and I think Chris Paul has kind of garnered that same type of reputation over the years. We've got uh, Chris Abare from Appleton, Wisconsin, is on headset with us. Hey, Chris, as always, thanks so much for being here, man. I had a lot of fun. Let's do this again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only to Jibwa Casino and Barriga and Marquette. Well, Ryan Stieg is with us. It's Friday, so Ryan's here. And uh, Ryan, I know it's been a hectic schedule for both of us, so we're glad to at least have you for half the show. And, uh, I mean, you're the hockey expert. We've got plenty of hockey to talk about. Uh, certainly, big weekend for Northern. You've got the first home hockey series open up conference play against Bemidji. You have got a rematch of last year's national championship game occurring down in South Bend. Shoot, where do you want to start with college hockey? I mean, there's a lot going on this weekend. Uh, well, why don't we start with a team that's playing at home? Mm -hmm. uh, they're uh, first home series of the year. Um, they're Northern needs a win. Uh, I think just for uh, <laughs> not just like. Fan enthusiasm, but more so just for, like, a confidence boost. They went out to St. Cloud State, and they got thrashed in two games. And uh, in case people just think, oh, you know, that was just a bad performance by Northern, St. Cloud State thrashed Boston College last mm -hmm. night, too. So 
Uh, they were playing arguably one of the best teams in the country. Uh, frozen Four picks. Some are thinking the national champion. I'm not quite there yet, but I not after last year. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm um, I have them in the Frozen Four. I'm just basing on the fact that St. Cloud chokes every year that they're mm-hmm. in the tournament. So <laughs> when you got when you got a team that perpetually falls short once they get to the national stage, you, you tend to be a little skeptical. And but, a first year head coach. And a first year head coach who uh, is coming from a different team. It's not like they promoted somebody. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, Northern uh, didn't play well. Only one goal. They were outscored nine to one in two games. They uh, only managed ten shots Saturday night, which in a men's level is kind of unheard of. I've I've seen ten shots get put up in a women's hockey game. Um, I you know back when I was in North Dakota and you know the women's hockey program there was like just kind of in its infancy stages they uh, had some really bad teams and uh, would struggle to get to the 10 shots but uh, this was new I I I asked him we asked uh, Grant at the press conference and he said it was a combination of this as St. Cloud playing good defense and guys not playing at the level that they need to be at which isn't a good sign but it's also only the third week of the season so it's there's still I mean like he said the sky isn't falling it's not falling it's like things aren't like going completely bonkers <laughs> you know it's like it's just they're off to a slow start a uh, little bit of unexpected slow start but uh you know they I think people forget that uh Northern had a phenomenal second half but their first half of the season wasn't great um, they got off to last a, year. Last year, mm-hmm. yeah. Last year they got off to a slow start, and then um, I think after the Christmas break, they really kicked it into gear and started to show what they could really do. But uh, it's only October, <laughs> you know. It's a long season. Playoffs don't start till March, so uh, you know. Let's. Everybody needs to calm down a little bit. I think the players need to, you know, take a breath. Um, and uh, they got a team this weekend that is not as good as St. Cloud, but a team that frustrates them a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time Bemidji came to the Barry, they shut Northern out both games, 2-0 both games. It was weird. I've never had been at a series where the games were the identical scores and basically played out the same way. I mean, like, the goals were very similar. The, you know, Northern struggled offensively both nights. It was just, it was weird. But uh, Bemidji... It's tough to play against. They're very defensively sound. They're not a offensive powerhouse like St. Cloud is. They're mostly focused on stout goaltending and lockdown defense. And uh, they had the, for a long time. They had Michael Bitzer, who is uh, arguably other than Tolvin and the best goalie in the WCHA, um, and he is now in the ECHL, uh, trying to get up to the pros. So, but he's gone. They have two good backups that played under him so it'll be interesting to see who plays tonight unfortunately i'm not going to be there but uh you know uh, i'm sure you'll have a fun show (laughs) i won't be able to see it but whoever shows up will well we're excited uh i'll be there tomorrow you're gonna be there right uh unfortunately no not tomorrow either well shoot they keep you busy over there at the yeah we're we're in a rough situation sorry to hear about that but now you've got uh, high school football tonight. That's busy around the state of Michigan. But, of course, we'll be keeping an eye on northern Michigan and what they look at for hockey. Obviously slow out of the gate this year. I know Michigan State is bottom tier of the Big Ten teams, but they're still a Big Ten team. Yeah. And then St. Cloud is going to contend for a national championship this year. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know that they haven't played well out of the gate. 
they played tough competition, but I know they won't use anything for an excuse. Obviously, they miss a guy like Robbie Payne. But are they missing him not only as a scorer, but as a leader? Do they have that on-ice leader like he was for them last season, or has he emerged yet? Um, I, I think the guys that would be fulfilling the role of Payne haven't really reached where they need to be. Um, Robbie was not expected to get off the start that he did. Uh, he was predicted to have a very good year, but he came off to such a blazing start that I think people kind of started to assume, well, every skater from now on is going to got off to a great start. But uh, Robbie, Robbie just, I don't know, defied the odds in a way, but he was just like, it was, I mean, I figured he was going to be their leading scorer. I picked him to be um, on the preseason WCHA first team last year, and then he looked like he was on the path to win MVP of the league, <laughs> you know, especially in the first half. So it, uh, they need someone to step up. Um, you know, Loggins is off to a slow start, um, still hasn't scored yet. Uh, Rockwood's playing pretty well. Craighead's playing pretty well. Um, so hopefully one of those guys can emerge. Uh, Denver Pierce is off to a decent start. You know, it's his captainship, so he's trying to <laughs> – He's trying to get the ship kind of in order right now, um, so it's not an easy task for him. But I, I think they're going to be fine. Um, I think getting two wins this weekend would be great. Um, it's not a guaranteed two wins, though. Bemidji's difficult. They're difficult to sweep. They, uh, they're they just, just because they're so defensively sound. And uh, for an offensive team like Northern is, it's very fast-paced and based on improvisation and stuff like that. They're going to... It's going to be tough, uh, but I, I think they're going to. I think they'll be fine this weekend. We'll be keeping an eye on that series. We'll also be keeping an eye on a series going on in South Bend, Indiana. Compton Family Ice Arena playing host to a rematch of the national championship game that occurred at the XL Energy Center last April. As top-ranked Notre Dame takes on Minnesota Duluth, who was the preseason number one. That's going to be a fun hockey series. I mean, it was a great national championship game. I was there. It was, I mean, the atmosphere was great for it there. And those two teams aren't necessarily a rivalry when it comes to hockey, but everybody gets up for Notre Dame. Doesn't matter the sport. Everyone wants to be the one that beats Notre Dame. And they take such pride up there in their hockey up in uh, Duluth. So this for me is going to be the series to watch. I'm going to be keeping an eye on Northern, but at a national stage, I mean, this is the series to watch in the hockey landscape. Yeah, it's uh, you know, Northern, Notre Dame and Duluth played in the Frozen Four in 2011, and Duluth won that year and went on to win the national championship. And now last year, Duluth beat Notre Dame in the national championship. So Duluth's kind of been that, I don't know, thorn in the side for the Irish who look like they're on the path to get a national championship finally, and then run into a team like Minnesota Duluth that kind of just hits them out of nowhere. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be a good series. Um, Notre Dame lost a lot. They were very senior laden last year, and that's, I think, what led to their success. You know, I think there's a lot of t talent still there, but the question of is this a title, national title team, I'm not sure yet. Uh, it's still way too early, and I had my doubts simply because they lost so much. Whereas Duluth, they lost quite a bit too. They got a lot more coming back. Um, a lot of people get really high on the defending national championship in the following year, thinking that, oh, they're just going to you know reload and come back. And uh, Duluth didn't look great against the Gophers that first weekend. 
and uh, they haven't exactly impressed me yet so far. I know some people just focus on the national championship and stuff in their mind that, you know, they're going to be really good, but I'm not quite sold on them yet. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how two teams play because I'm still not sure on both of them, and maybe this will help me come to a conclusion. Notre Dame's unbeaten. They've got a top five win this year. Michigan off to a slow start for the expectations put on them. Ohio State, of course, knocked off after less than a week as the number one uh, ranked team in the country. Uh, they end up falling to UMass. Do the first couple of weeks of the season change your predictions, your thoughts on what the Big Ten's going to look like this season? I don't, I don't tend to change my opinions until around thanksgiving because mm -hmm. you're about two months in you're almost two months in you're starting to see maybe how the uh pretenders and the contenders are starting to shake out um ohio state came in as a lot of people's along with st cloud as like the championship pick and i like the i had them making the frozen four but I wasn't sure about a championship simply because I was at the Frozen Four and I watched them play Duluth, and that was one of the worst teams I've mm -hmm. seen at the Frozen Four. They looked so out of place, so just completely out of it. Like, all I heard leading up to the week is my friends who uh, cover sports for the Big Ten are like, oh, you got to watch this team. They're so good. And I'm just like, they manage one goal in that game. This is the best offense I've ever seen. No, they're not that good. <laughs> if you only manage one goal in the Frozen Four, it's like it's like you might be a little overrated. And uh, they look that way to me. But I think they uh, maybe they can they've learned from that. But uh, losing to UMass uh, was kind of a blow. I mean, UMass is supposed to be pretty good this year, but that was a team Ohio State should have beat. Who's your pick to win the Big Ten this season? <sighs> I was going. It's. I think it's a tie between Ohio State and Michigan mm -hmm. right now. I think Michigan. I think Minnesota is still in a little bit of rebuilding. Notre Dame's still the jury's still out a little bit. Uh, Penn State is continuing to follow their model of we're mm -hmm. going to score six games, six goals a game, and then not play goalie. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird philosophy. It was the Red Berenson philosophy in his final mm -hmm. years, where I'm going to recruit all these great offensive players and then find like a subpar goaltender and just kind of hope for the best <laughs> i mean it's a it's i mean isn't it like kind of like the yankees philosophy a little bit yeah mm -hmm. for for a stretch like as dynasty was starting to come to an end was we'll get all these guys who can hit really well but we'll have a weak pitching rotation and just hope we can out slug everybody and uh that's the penn state philosophy uh and it's not going to pay off i think they're going to do enough maybe to make the tournament but Defense is going to hurt them. It did last year. It did them the previous year. Um, some of the other teams, I'm, uh, I don't know. Michigan State's, I mean, they didn't impress me. I, they're better than they were, mm -hmm. you know, very much. But uh, they're still not there yet. Michigan, you know, I think Mel Pearson uh, really set the bar for himself pretty high, making the Frozen Four last year. So I think there's a lot of pressure on him. He's doing He's, he's done great work down there. I know that bothers Tech fans a lot who are still bitter that he left. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny how the, that lingers. I mean, when I was at the Frozen Four, there were a lot of guys in Tech jerseys who booed Michigan the whole game mm -hmm. simply because Mel Pearson was their head coach. Um, but I, I would say probably Ohio State and Michigan right now, um, but it's still early. I, 
like I said, I usually come to start to come to my conclusions around Thanksgiving, and I really start to do it at Christmas around that time. Uh, with Northern last year, when it came down to Christmas break, I was more like, they're showing glimpses of potential. I still thought they were going to get home ice in the playoffs, but I wasn't sure about having them make that huge run that they did at the end. I, I, I was thinking, this could be pretty good, but I didn't think a second-place finish, I didn't think a WCHA title game finish, that title game appearance at that point of the year. So, you know, it, it's second-half team, second half teams uh, can always kick it into gear as soon as the New Year's started. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. When you look around, again, way too early, like we were talking about, but the Mike Richter Award, who's the best goalie in college hockey this year? Is there anybody who's standing out to you that looks like they're going to knock off Kale Morris to win the Richter? Uh, well, you could make the case for Ate Tolvanen mm-hmm. at the start of the year, but he's not off to the best start. No. Um, but that doesn't mean you should completely give him up on mm-hmm. it. Uh, he's... Just because he can steal games for Northern, and he can, he steps up on the big stage, and he knows. I mean, he set the, he tied the record for five straight for, for, for that many straight shutouts in a row. It's just, I know him to be a big game goalie, and uh, he can definitely come through when needed. Um, we'll see how he does. I would say Kale Morse is probably the front runner, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. I mean, if he starts to falter, things can change. Um, but again, way too early. Um, but I'll, I think I'll start to figure the goaltender probably around Christmas time. A lot to be decided once we get yeah, to Christmas yeah, a lot, and everything. Basically, yeah. and, and I think we're going to learn a lot about the landscape among the top tier teams in the country with what happens in South Bend this weekend. How about that coaching matchup, Scott Sandlin against Jeff Jackson? Tell me about those two and when you see them go head to head. It's it's interesting because when Scott Sandlin was hired, Duluth fans were not happy, mm-hmm. and they weren't happy the first few years, and some were you know demanding his head <laughs> and wanting to put it on a pike and stuff like that, you know, because, you know, Duluth's standards are so high, which I thought was funny because that team has never, had, until he got there, had never won a national championship. So I was, I was wondering, how do you guys have such amazingly high standards if you've never actually won one before? But uh, he turned it around. He's now won two. He's built them from... You know, a team that you keep in mind to a team that's always in contention for a national championship. Um, you know, he Scott last year really emphasized shutting down the neutral, the neutral zone and kind of relies on unsung players. Like, you're not going to see, like, on his team, like Hobie Baker candidates. You're going to see guys who just work well to, with each other, who can score and play pretty good defense and just kind of combine the pieces together. With Jeff, it's... He's, I, I want to say, like, shoots for the moon sometimes. Like, he'll get these really good recruits. And, you know, it's it's like the Tigers' philosophy for a stretch of win now, and I'm going to get all these good players who probably won't stay here for four years and hope that, you know, something good happens. And he's come close. He didn't know he uh, almost won a title in 08, and then he ran into the, uh, the buzzsaw that Boston College was that year. Um, almost did it in 2011. Uh, they got upset by Duluth that year, and then almost did it last year. And just Notre Dame didn't necessarily play bad. It's just Duluth played better mm-hmm. in that game. And uh, 
which disappointed me a little because I was pulling for Notre Dame that game. But uh, that's beside the point. I, I but that's just how Jeff operates. He's a good. He's a really good recruiter, and uh, he he just goes kind of all in and hopes like these guys stay two years so they can get a title and then do it all over again. Um, but this year he's he doesn't quite have that. I mean he's got a great goaltender, so he's got that you know. But his offense is still kind of there's some potential there. Are they going to be that team that last year? And I don't know if they're quite there, but uh, he always manages to get it together. I think he's one of the underrated coaches. I mean, he's been there. He, I mean, he had a lot of success at Lake State. He's been at Notre Dame for a long time now, and uh, he's actually a really nice guy. He helped me with my grad school project. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's just, you know, I think he's a very good coach. It's just contrasting styles, and it'll make for a fun series. Last thing before we go to break, where does the WCHA rank among conferences in college hockey? Will will we see multiple WCHA teams making the NCAA tournament? Right now they look really bad. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're two, three weeks in, and uh, the WCHA teams, with the exception of Minnesota State, and maybe Bowling Green, aren't Mm -hmm. aren't really looking all that great. Uh, I would say they're they're, uh, on a climb. I think, uh, you know, last year really showed that the WCHA is on the rise. I think it was a conference that kind of just mashed a bunch of teams together after the Big Ten conference was created, and then the NCHC was made up. It they kind of just put, you know, the leftovers from the CCHA and the leftovers from the WCHA and combined them all together. And uh, rivalries were eliminated. You're trying to figure out how it was going to shake out. Minnesota State kind of emerged. Then Tech started to come together, and Bowling Green did. Um, I was going to say at the start of the year, I thought they were going to get two in this year, um, potentially maybe even three if things go really well. Um, I'm still believing that's possible, but uh, they're not off to a great start. Uh, but like I said, it's way too early, and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I would say the NCHC is the premier conference, mm. I think, um, just because they always have teams in it every year. Duluth won it last in the NCHC. Denver won it in the NCHC. North Dakota won the year before in the NCHC. St. Cloud. Uh, St. Cloud is always in it. Haven't won it all yet, but they're always in the mix. Uh, it's There's so much talent there. I would say the Big Ten, which I used to laugh at because I didn't like that they created their own conference, and I think they messed up a lot of college hockey. And I think people got a little bit of joy watching them struggle in their early years because – they never really, none of the teams are able to really put it together. But now things have started to shake out. They've gotten that Big Ten mantra, see, come here because we're Michigan. Come here because we're Notre Dame. Not like they have like some magical marketing standpoint other than we're a Big Ten team and all these other schools aren't. So, it, I mean, I would say they're up to number two. Hockey East has really fallen off. Mm. I mean, there was a stretch where Hockey East was like, the conference you mm-hmm. have bu and maine and new hampshire and umass lowell and they're just they were so good and now it's just like they've really fallen off and it's kind of bizarre that every team i mean bu is still pretty good but they got thrashed by minnesota mm-hmm. state boston college got destroyed by st cloud and uh the teams that were the traditional powers have really fallen off the map it's uh so they're still trying to figure out. Um, ECAC is always going to be lower, um, and it's just based on the teams they have. A lot mm-hmm. of Ivy League schools, 
Cornell's in there and Princeton's in there. Now those are good teams, and uh, I think they're both going to make the tournament. Atlantic Hockey's always going to be Atlantic Hockey. <laughs> it's just it's the smallest schools, and their their hope is that their one team every year that gets in can pull some upsets and just like Air Force did, up. like Air Force does. Air Force is that. It, it used to be Bemidji was there, like that thorn in the side of people. Now Air Force has embraced that role, and they're gonna. They pulled an upset last year. They do it whenever they make it in, and uh, they just can't get that second one to get to the Frozen Four. Like they'll come close, they'll end up losing by one in the, like the regional final, and then they just. So I think it'll eventually happen, but uh, Air Force I think is the team to beat there. Ryan Steig of the Mining Journal, our guest today. A new sport potentially coming to Northern. That's next in the Sports Pen. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, the ESPN-UP app. Don't forget Pigskin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize. Only to Jibwa Casino in Berga and Marquette. Tanner Hoops joined by Ryan Stieg of the Mining Journal. In case you missed it, Northern Michigan will be hosting a press conference this evening, and they will be discussing adding athletics and fielding new teams here at Northern, one of those being women's hockey. And Ryan put out an article this week in the Mining Journal. Uh, it, we, we have that shared on our social media if you want to check that out, about the potential of women's hockey, among other sports, coming to Northern in the near future. Ryan, tell me a little what we're looking at. How realistic is it that the university will be fielding women's hockey in the near future? Well, uh, start, it's not just hockey. Just to um, clarify things to people, I mean, that's the big headline, mm-hmm. and that's what they're going to be talking about today. But they're looking at other sports. Um, they want to expand their department. I think they're seeing that, you know, maybe they're a little more financial stable now. They want to just expand themselves on the national stage. They're looking at men's and women's tennis. They're looking at alpine skiing. They're looking at rifle. They're looking at men's track and field and men's cross country, which will probably be the easiest ones to add because there's already women's programs there. So you just, that's what they did with soccer and what's that they did with golf. So you just combine those together. Um, tennis, when they first said it, I was like, well, that's interesting. But then I'm like, you know, you can make it work. I mean, mm-hmm. if you play in the fall, <laughs> you know, I mean, Tech does it, and they're fine with it, So, mm-hmm. pretty, and they get more snow than Marquette does, so I figured, you know, I can work up here. Uh, Alpine skiing, they're interested in it, um, simply because Nord- Northern's Nordic skiing team is just so excellent. You know, they bring in individual national champions like they did last year, and their team always does well. Um, and they got Marquette Mountain. Um, there was an Alpine skiing team, from what people tell me, for a stretch, and I think they want to bring that back. The only problem with that is all the ski teams uh, that could, that they, uh, they'd go up against are all out west or all out east. So you'd have to join <laughs> a conference and travel an awful lot, um, and you'd be playing, you know, D1 programs, uh, you know, constantly. Now they do that, and they they play, you know, D1 teams, but they'd be doing it, you know, on a constant basis and in some ways it might prepare them for uh you know the national championships but uh the big and rifle i i definitely didn't see that coming Mm -hmm. but hunting's big up here so Mm -hmm. maybe it fits uh but the uh hockey's the headliner um it's it's an interesting thing because just a few years ago um when i got up here i talked to forest Carr and uh if if i thought that they would ever add women's hockey and they said, and he said, it's just not in the cards right now. And that was like three years ago. Well, now it seems to be in the cards, but not completely. 
they needed to have a feasibility study conducted. Um, those who don't know, uh, you know, I mentioned briefly in my article, University of Illinois went through a study, Oakland University downstate went through a study, um, but they're in a different situation because they're trying to do men's and women's, and that makes it a little more difficult because it's harder to add a men's program than a women's program. Syracuse added a women's program, and they were thinking about men, but they still haven't done it yet. So it's it's an interesting situation. I think Northern's in better shape to add a women's hockey program because they have a men's hockey program. Oakland and Illinois do not have a hockey facility, <laughs> so they'd have to build a completely new arena, whereas with just adding a women's program, they'd have to like upgrade the berry a little bit. They'd have to add a women's hockey locker room. Um, that would be on the same par as the men's hockey room. Um, you'd have to figure some stuff for the arena. There's Title IX requirements you got to make up there. You know, if you add women's hockey, do you have to add another men's program? Or if you add women's hockey, do you have to add another women's pro? You know, just trying to figure all that out. Um, I think there'll be some interesting news at the press conference because. You know, they have all those bigwigs there. You have the VB, the VP from the NHL is going to be there. The guy from College Inc. is going to be there. The com- women's commissioner of the WCHA is going to be there. They're all going to be giving their thoughts. And, uh, you know, people are asking me, do you think that, you know, is this a clear indication? I'm like, well, not entirely. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're probably going to say that they think it can happen, but then it's got to go back to the school and they got to figure out what they're going to do from there. It's... It's interesting. Um, I think it's going to be a positive press conference. I figured if they weren't really into it, I would have gotten an email last night saying they're all going home or something like that. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I'm intrigued about it. It's going to be at 5 o'clock today. I'll have something in the paper uh, Saturday morning, you know, for you guys to read about. But I'm intrigued as much as everybody else's. Well, uh, quickly as we're winding down, give us a picture of what the what the schedule could potentially look at like. What are some games that Northern is going to schedule? Because keep in mind, women's hockey it's hard to find, especially if you're not living uh, in the Upper Midwest, which fortunately we are, or out east, the New England area. Yeah, they're uh, well, they'd lock into the WCHA. Um, which is desperate to fill an eighth spot. When North Dakota got eliminated, the WCH, because they cut their program, which I'm still upset about because mm-hmm. I think that was dumb, but they have only seven teams in there. They have a big open spot. They want to fill it. If Northern says we're going to do it, it's an easy spot to slide into. That's where they'd end up. But, you know, they have to travel a little more. Some of the schools are a little outside the area. You're, you're not getting your typical teams. Um you're going to be playing more Big Ten programs like Minnesota and Wisconsin, Ohio State, um, you know, Minnesota State, stuff like that, which isn't a big change. But, you know, they're good teams. So it's going to be a long process. This isn't going to be something where they're going to say, hey, we're going to do it tonight, and it's going to happen next year. <laughs> it's going to be a long process. This will probably take about, I would say, two, three years before they can fully establish something if they decide to go into it. Ryan, as always, thanks for being here, giving us your thoughts on everything in uh, the world of hockey and the landscape. Hoping the Red Wings can finish it off and get their win tonight over Winnipeg, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Thanks again for being here. No problem. Yep, Ryan Stieg, our guest. He's out of the Mining Journal. Next time he's on, it will be November. That's it for us here in the Sports Pen. In case you missed it earlier, here are Coach's Show coming up right after this, and then Westwood Patriot Football this evening right here on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP mobile app, WZAM Ishpeming Marquette.